But our reading from the Bible this evening comes from Romans chapter 6. And you'll find that if you've got a church Bible on page 1133, reading from Romans 6, 1 to 14. Yeah, chapter 6 of uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, we'll read the section that's headed, Dead to Sin, Alive in Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Well, I'm aware that there'll be uh, some here this evening for, for a baptism. will be quite a new experience. Something maybe even a, a bit odd. You know, may have attended the baptism of an infant, of a child, who had water sprinkled on his or her head, but never actually witnessed the full immersion of an adult. And so you may be wondering, well, why do we do such a thing? Especially if we believe that it's not actually the act of baptism itself that saves us. No, we are saved by trusting in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Why do we do it? Well, the short answer is Jesus himself was baptised and he expected his followers to be baptised. He clearly considered it essential for us, not simply a bit of an added extra, if we so wish, but like going to, to Comet and buying a new TV and being asked if you want that breakdown insurance to go with it, if you like, as well. And he said, no thanks, I'm, I'm all right, don't need that as well. Got the TV. If Jesus thought it was so important for us, then there must be great symbolic significance in this act. And that's what we're going to be looking at in this passage from Romans this evening. 
But before we do that, the other thing I'd like to say is that occasions such as this have a very powerful effect, not just on those involved in them directly, such as Natalie and Tom this evening, but also on all of us who are witnessing it. I think if you um, think of somebody's death, it's often not actually until we attend the funeral, until we see the coffin, when we hear the tributes, that the full significance of what has happened sinks in. Or for a wedding, we congratulate a couple when they announce they got engaged, when we see that they're pretty much in love with each other. But when you actually witness them exchanging their wedding vows, promising to spend the rest of their lives with each other, committing themselves. It's something very different, isn't it? And likewise, someone can come to faith and say, I've become a Christian. And we are really pleased. But when we see them make that stand for Jesus by going through the waters of baptism in obedience to him, we realise that this is really something special to them. They really mean what they say. This is something that they take very seriously. The symbolism of the moment and the decision is even more powerful when the believers come from a different culture, different background. When Sarah Malik came to speak at a men's breakfast and a women's breakfast as well, she described how when she converted from Islam to Christianity, she told her friends and family. And the response was, well, don't ask me to come to your baptism. They recognised the full impact and significance of that event. Well, what does baptism signify then? Well, the three main points that come out of this passage that uh, Andy read for us that I want to focus on. And if you do have a Bible, have a look at it. Um, just to put it in context, the question that's being put to Paul at the beginning of this passage is, he sa- people are saying to him, if we are saved by God's grace, that is God's love for us that we don't deserve, if he forgives us for all of our sins, past, present and future then why not just carry on sinning? Because if we do that, then we'll experience even more of God's grace and forgiveness. It's a bit like saying, you know, if a surgeon is good at his work, then why not just go and injure yourself so we can see how good he is and uh, enable him to have more opportunity to uh, perform his great work? Well, Paul's response to such an objection is pretty direct, isn't he? He says, shall we go on sinning? He says, by no means. Or in other translations, of course not. If you like the King James, God forbid. Or for your German, niemals. Quite like the last one, really. But why not? Why not? Why should we not go on sinning? Well, Paul's answer summarises what I think baptism symbolises. And he, he, his answer says this. He, sa- he answers in the form of a question. He says, we died to sin... How can we live in it any longer? We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The first point I want to make this evening is to die to sin is to be freed from the guilt of sin. Expressed here as a a logical impossibility. You know, we've, we've had a close shave. We know how awful it was. Why would we want to go back to the way I used to live my life? That way of life for me is now over. And the finality of the image of death and burial makes that quite clear in this passage. He says here, Don't you know that all of us who are baptised into Christ Jesus 
were baptised into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Or in verse 5 it says, we have been united with him like this in his death. And the quickest question is, how has that former way of life, that, that sinful life in which we ignored God, in which we just did things our own way, followed our own selfish desires, how has that been dealt with? Where does being united with Jesus in all this fit in? Well, to be united to someone is to become one with them. If you think of football teams, many of them have united after their name because the idea is that they play as one, they play as a a team. When a man and woman are united in, in marriage, they become one. So if something happens to one of them, it affects the other. If one rejoices, so does the other. If one is sad and suffers, so does the other. And so to become united to Jesus Christ is to accept that what happens to him happens also to me. If he dies, then that has an effect on me as well. Not in the same way, because obviously Jesus was the one who physically died on the cross for me. I didn't physically die on the cross. But God counts that as happening to me. In other words, he is my representative. My first representative was Adam. Not our new youth leader sitting in the back there. No, Adam as an Adam and Eve. If you think back to that story in Genesis, which Tom started reading 18 months ago, Adam chose to disobey God. And what he was doing there, he was representing the desire of all of us to disobey God. And we still suffer the effects of that, that sin, in this world, a world of pain and suffering. But the Bible says Jesus came as a a second Adam, a second representative for us. The Bible says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ, all will be made alive. The sin of Adam separated us from God and meant we would suffer the penalty of death, but Jesus came to deal with that problem and represent us before God the Father. He said, I will take that penalty of death. I will take it instead of you, my people. You are the ones I represent. And God allowed him to do that because he loved us so much. And it was natural for Jesus, as our representative, to want to take our sins for us. He is the head of the body, the church. And if the members sinned, it was right that he, even though he himself had not sinned, should be our representative and bear the consequences of our acts. And how amazing it is for us that he should take the penalty of sin. That still leaves the question, of course, who exactly, though, does he represent? And the answer is, all those, like Tom like Natalie, who have said, I want you, Jesus Christ, to represent me. I believe that when you died on that cross, it was for me. The sins you dealt with included my sins. And it's when we accept Jesus as our representative that we become united to him. That our sin is dead, our sin is buried. And that's a choice we have. Either we accept Jesus as our substitute to take our guilt, our our perfect, sinless representative, one who can stand before God 
or we bear our own guilt and we stand in our own place before God. But I know which I would rather do. Last month there was a Canadian citizen who appeared before a US military court accused of killing an American in Afghanistan when he was only 15. And the judge asked him who on his team of US lawyers that had been appointed for him by the Pentagon, who should represent him? And he replied, right now, nobody. I can't trust these lawyers. I'm going to ask my Canadian lawyers to choose someone to represent me who I can trust. Saddam Hussein is in a picture there, somebody else who famously represented himself. But we don't need to stand on our own before God. We don't need to have a representative we can't trust because we have a representative we can trust, that is Jesus Christ. And because of our faith in him, we need no longer fear that event. We no longer need fear death. It will no longer be the awful thing it would have been. So to die to sin here is to be freed, to be freed from the guilt of sin. But of course, it's not just the guilt of sin that Jesus takes away when we are united to him. It's also the power of sin. As Tom and Natalie go under the water, what they will be symbolising is, is the saying that I want my old self to die. And that is what is meant in verse 6 here where it says, our old self was crucified with him. It means the me that was rebellious against God, who, that didn't believe in him, that didn't follow his ways, that had been counted now by God as dead. This is a symbolic burial of our old way of life. So we're not just here for a baptism, we're actually here for a burial as well. There's nothing sad about this burial though. Because as it carries on, it says, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Good news about what baptism signifies is that finally I'm free from that way of life. And so the consequence of that, and the third point I want to make, is that to be alive in Jesus Christ is to have a new Lord to follow. You'll be pleased to know, Natalie and Tom, that Paddy has assured me that when you go under that water, you won't stay under. You will be coming up again. Whereas with a normal burial, the body is laid in the ground to rest. You will be brought up out of the water, representing a coming to new life. And that is one reason why we believe that baptism in the Bible is by full immersion. You know, in addition to the fact that the word means immerse, and when people were baptised, the Bible says they went down into the water. The symbolism of here is fully there by the dying, going under the water, and the rising to new life. The old life of rebellion against God is dead, it is finished, and the new life, the new life in which you serve God instead of yourself, has started. A new spiritual person has been raised from the dead. And this too is part of that act of faith, the faith that 
believes that Jesus was raised from the dead by the Father, that he's alive today, that he reigns on high, and he will come again one day in power and glory. Because if we don't believe that, that Jesus did rise from the dead, then we can't believe that God can raise us to a new life. Our faith in the resurrection of Jesus is how we share in the newness of life that Christ has himself. 2 Corinthians says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And for Tom and Natalie, as those who are in Christ, who are united to him, you are new creatures. The old is gone, the new has come. And that is what you are, that is who you are. And so our prayer for you both is that you'll become, in your own experience, what you already are in God's sight. As you trust in God more and more in your daily life, you will more and more fully appreciate the significance of who you are, a new creation. Because being a new creation, sadly, doesn't mean that in this earthly life you won't have doubts, you won't have setbacks. It's not that as Christians that we are not tempted by sin, of course we are. But the difference now is in your new life that you no longer want to sin because we know that sin is offensive to God. Before we weren't really bothered because we didn't acknowledge God. But now it says here we don't go on sinning, we don't live in sin any longer. It no longer has control. Now we understand just how awful sin is to our holy God. Now we will do all we can to avoid it. We now have a new Lord. We now have a new master. That point is made very clearly at the end of that passage in verse 14 where it says, Sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. It's like Sir Alex giving Ronaldo a call and saying, got this match on Saturday against Liverpool. wonder whether you could uh, put on the old shirt again and uh, give us a hand. And Ronaldo would say, look, you know, very tempting to appear again at Old Trafford, but I'm sorry, but you're no longer my boss. You're no longer my master. I have a new one. My boss now is at Real Madrid, and I'm afraid I have to do what he wants me to do. We have a new master. And of course, there's an active part to play in this for us. The command in verse 13 says, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. And that recognises that there's this ongoing battle with sin. We can sin. We do sin, sadly. But if we remember to offer ourselves to God, then the influence of sin in our lives will become weaker. That newness of life is a daily trusting in the working of God in our lives. To say we are freed from sin means that we are free to offer ourselves to God. As it says here, as instruments of righteousness. And that is an an active life. We're not raised to new life simply to sit back and enjoy it and examine whether we are alive or not to keep pricking ourselves. No, we, we offer our whole lives to him. How we work, how we play, how we eat, how we spend our money, how we treat our friends our family, our neighbours, our colleagues. Well, as I uh, conclude and as we come to the baptism itself, to to recap, baptism symbolises 
what has happened to us already when we became Christians. We were united to Christ, we, we died with him, and therefore we were freed from the guilt of sin, we were freed from the power of sin. And so we are able by faith and with God's grace and Holy Spirit at work in our lives to triumph more and more over sin in our daily life. And that doesn't mean we necessarily understand the full significance of what is going on here. I'm sure there will be many here who were baptised some time ago and, and maybe this evening something new about baptism and what that truly means has really just uh, hit home. That is natural, that's part of growing in our Christian knowledge. And baptism is setting out on that journey. All that is required of those getting baptised is a simple trust in Jesus Christ as the only one who can represent us before God the Father and a desire to allow him to be in control of our lives. It's the start of a life that will be full of rich blessings, rich spiritual blessings and a life that will last forever. And if you haven't yet taken that step yourself, can I encourage you to do so? Because it is the most important decision you will ever make. Why not make that decision tonight? Let me close with the words of Philippians and then I will pray before we go to the baptism. Philippians, it says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me.